for abatement, the appellant dies before the decision of the court is reached. That is the general belief, but that is not necessarily the right position. The death of the appellant is just one of those instances, so that is not the basic difference. Welcome to the Fit and Proper Podcast by DigiLaw, your host, Yukemi Ubi, and co-host, Taiwo Ogunleye. Hello, you're welcome to today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast. My name is Yukemi Ubi, and I'm your host. And with me today is Taiwo Ogunleye. Taiwo is um, one of our new co-hosts, and this is his first time on your episode, so let's welcome you. Yeah, Taiwo, so you, this is your first time, so can you please introduce yourself briefly to our audience? All right, um, good afternoon, everybody. Mm. Um, my name is Taiwo Obuleye, and like she said, I am a new co-host, and um, I am a legal practitioner, of course, um, legal practitioner I'm into criminal litigation, mostly, so it means I specialize in defending accused persons in hmm. different courts, such as the magistrate um, and high courts, and if need be, we'll continue on appeal to any court of appellate jurisdiction. Also, I am a legal researcher. I conduct legal research and I write on legal issues. That's all, basically. Guys, we have, we have an expert now, Miss. So, um, Today, we will be talking about, interestingly, we'll be talking about appeals, which is a um, topic in um, criminal litigation and Nigeria law school. So, Taiwo, um, previously, uh, someone already spoke about the first part of appeal, and um, I think it was Victoria. Victoria talked about the first part of appeal. So, you're going to like pick up from where Victoria stopped, I think. So, um, I guess in a previous episode, we discussed appeal from the magistrate to the high court and from the high court to the court of appeal. We cannot from there now yet. How do we commence an appeal from the court of appeal to the Supreme Court? All right, thank you. Um, interestingly, appeal from um, the court of appeal to the Supreme Court is not very much different from appeal from um, the high court to the court of appeal. Just um, slight differences, not very, very minimal. All right, so answer the question straight. To commence an appeal, from the Court of Appeal to the Supreme Court, I think the relevant um, provision of the law is Section 27, Subsection 2B of the Supreme Court Act. And um, according to that um, section, a person is said to have commenced an appeal when he files a notice of appeal in the lower court. Um, for clarity, lower court means um, the court below the Supreme Court. So we're talking about the Court of Appeal. So when a person files a notice of appeal, at the registry of the court of appeal, then that person is said to have um, entered an appeal or to have commenced an appeal at the court of, um, court of appeal. I think there is something I need to emphasize here now. The appeal is for the court of, I mean, for the Supreme Court, but it is commenced by filing that notice at the court of appeal. So we shouldn't uh, make the mistake of thinking that because it is to be at the Supreme Court, then automatically it has to be filed at the Supreme Court. The notice has to be filed first at the Court of Appeal. And then that, that notice of appeal, if it's going to be seen as being valid, it, it, it must contain um, a statement of whether it is the old conviction of the court that is appealed against or a part of the decision. 
So where that statement is not made, such an appeal may not, such notice of appeal may not be seen as being valid, and as such, an appeal cannot be said to have commenced. Mm. So in summary, you commence an appeal by filing a notice of appeal. That is, that is the process to be filed a notice of appeal. Okay, all right. So what? How is the appeal heard at the Supreme Court? All right. Um. For hearing of appeals, just like what transpires at the court of appeal, after the appellant has filed a notice of appeal at the lower court, it is expected that within the time stipulated by law, the registrar of the court of appeal must um, compile the record of appeals and serve on the parties up to that appeal. Now, at that point, the appellant is expected to file his appellant brief um, within 10 weeks. The Respondent is expected to file a respondent brief within eight weeks of receiving the appellant brief. So it means before the hearing of the appeal, the Supreme Court already has the written argument of the parties. So what happens at the hearing of appeal is the adoption of the written argument. So basically what they do at the Court of Appeal is just to adopt the argument which definitely has been written in advance. And so, um, after adoption now, if the council believe that there is a need to adumbrate, it is not mandatory, but where the council believe that there is a need to adumbrate for what has been written in the brief of argument, then each council has a maximum of one hour. So within one hour, adumbrate on your written um, argument. So it means it is just adoption plus adumbration within one hour. And um, that is um, for clarity. We can read um, other five, um, other six, rule five of the Supreme Court rules, which is clearly stated there. So a question will now be in a situation where briefs have been filed and the counsel does not appear on the date fit for hearing. What happens? What the court does in that situation is to deem the brief of argument as adopted. Yes. So it simply means you can file your brief of argument and refuse to appear in court if you think there is nothing you want to add to it during the hearing. Yes. Um, um, and then in a, it, it, it usually adds that what if a counsel appear on the hearing date without filing any brief before the court? <laughs> would, would, would the court, would the court allow the council to make other submission. Now, the other submission in appeal cases is not an alternative to brief of argument. So it means where there is no brief of argument, there is nothing to be argued before the court. So the court will not listen to a council who has not before that time filed a brief of argument. So in summary now, appeals are heard based on the argument already filed by the parties to the appeal. So that's it, basically. So what what is now um something I know there's something called a cross appeal. So what is that all about? Alright. Um let me use an illustration first of all so as to make it clear. Mm. Um let's say there is a case between um the state of Lagos and Ajali Poko as the defendant. Now after trial the court gives a judgment and the court decides that this is my ruling, I mean this is my judgment on this the, on, on, on this matter. Now it is possible that the appellant it is possible I mean it is possible that the defendant could have been convicted the court is okay, I hereby find you guilty and I hereby sentence to so so number of years imprisonment. But when courts deliver their judgment, there is always a ratio. There is usually a ratio. That is the reason for the judgment. So, even though the state, that is the attorney general on behalf of the state, is satisfied 
that the defendant has been convicted, there are possibilities that the state will still not be satisfied on the reason given by the court for the conviction. So where the state is not satisfied, the judgment is still in favor of the state. So you do not expect the state to file an appeal because the judgment is in the favor of the state. So what do you want to file an appeal for? But where the person who has been convicted now feels like he's not satisfied with the judgment of the court, the person can proceed to appeal. Now, when the person who is not satisfied with the judgment of the court files an appeal, I mean, files an appeal at an appellate court, then the party who was favored by the decision now can decide to raise new issues, to challenge the reason given by the court for its judgment. So that new issue being raised now is what is called the cross appeal. So it means a cross appeal is raised or is filed by a party who was favored by the judgment of the lower court, but is not satisfied with a part of that judgment, usually the reason for the judgment. So that is what um, cross-appeal means, um, basically. What is the difference between um, abatement of appeal and abandonment of appeal? Uh, all right, that, that's a very um, vital question. I think I've seen that question in Bifinals on a couple of times. So I will take time to just clarify um, abandonment of appeal and um, abatement. Now, who have the tendency to say the difference between the two is that for abatement, the appellant dies before the decision of the court is reached. That is the general belief, but that is not necessarily the right position. Okay. The death of the appellant is just one of those instances. So that is not the basic difference. Now, so to understand the difference now, let's look at the, the two concepts. Abatement of appeal is said to have occurred when it becomes practically impossible for the court to reach a decision on the appeal. So any factor might have been responsible. It is totally practically impossible for the court to reach a decision on that appeal. That is abatement. But an abandonment of appeal is said to occur where the appellant decides to file a notice of abandonment. Now, notice of abandonment means the appellant is telling the court in a way that I want to withdraw my appeal. So, what would then be the difference between the two? It would mean that the major difference between the two is the control of the parties to the appeal. For abatement of appeal, the parties do not have control over the situation. So, the appeal is overtaken by uncontrollable events. For an example, like I said earlier, the death of the appellant. So, when the appellant dies, that is one of the instances in which we can say that the appeal cannot be practically decided by the court. But where it is within the control of one of the parties, then it is an abandonment. So a party to the appeal can say, I am no longer interested in it. That is the appellant. So that is abandonment. But for the abatement, the appellant is not saying, I'm no longer interested. It just becomes impossible for that appeal to continue. So it happens naturally. Uh, let, me, uh, let, me, let me give another instance, please. Another instance, but this will not be. I will use a civil matter to explain this. Where, for instance, there is a there is a building which is the subject of litigation, and the the appellant proceeds to court to say, "I I think the judgment of the lower court that the property should be given to the other party is not a right decision." Now I want to appeal so that the court will give that property to me. But in the process, there is a natural disaster, and the building collapses. <laughs> of, course, of course, nobody has died. 
but by natural events, such an appeal has become useless because there is nobody to enjoy the fruit of that appeal if the appeal is decided at the end of the day. So that yeah. is definitely it's control. The person, the person that's the land, the person's village people that's working. Anyways, so okay, from from discussing with Victoria here, I discovered that um there are types of orders a court can make after hearing an appeal. Now follow me. The court can make the following orders. They can make like um upholding the decision of the lower court. They can um have a conviction, they can have an acquittal, and they can uh, um they can order for a retrial. Now my question is, can you tell us more? I think the orders are very clear and um, Victoria has explained them in the past. But now can you tell us more about what an order of a, a retrial is? Normally when there is a matter before the court, that is a criminal matter before the court, it is expected that it is not only the substantive um, law that matters. Mm. The court must also ensure that it follows the procedural law. Now, it is possible that to, during the course of trial, certain procedures that should be followed were not followed. Now, at the end of the day, the prosecution secures the conviction of the defendant. Now, the defendant now decides to appeal. When the matter gets to appeal and the court of appeal finds that there was a procedural error that led to miscarriage of justice against the defendant. It will look like the court will sound stupid to say that the defendant should go without punishment. Mm. Now, that way, it means, well, you have been able to inform us or to convince us that the court below did not follow the right procedure for your conviction. So now you are not even challenging the conviction, you are challenging the procedure applied in arriving at the conviction. So it will be unfair to the prosecution for us to tell you to go without punishment. Now, yeah. if you take a look at the, I think, the James Ibori, or this James Ibori, um, was it Ibori or Uzo? Uzo Kalu recently, I think that will be this year, that um, the court of, um, it was found that there was a procedural error that the, 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 the justice, that the judge that um, started the matter was not the judge that continued the matter in the end and then later gave judgment. Oh. Normally, when there is a change of um, of the judge, it is expected that the matter will start the novel. That is, it will start from the very beginning. Because somebody who did not follow the procedure from the beginning will not be entitled to give judgment. Okay. Now, in, in that case now, the Supreme, I mean, the, the court did not say, I hereby order that this man be let go free. What the court ordered was a retrial. That is, since you didn't follow the right procedure, now go back and follow the right procedure. So, an order now that the trial should start from the beginning again, now following the right procedure, is what is called the order of retrial or retrial order, which some people will refer to as trial de novo. Mm-hmm. And before the court, before the court will order a retrial, it is not enough to prove that or to suggest to the court that there was a procedural error. You must prove at least three things. At least three things. There are other factors that the court, I and mean, there are other things that the court may put into consideration, but there are three that, that the, that the, the court will definitely look into. Number one, that there was a procedural error. Now, number two, that the procedural error led to a miscarriage of justice. Okay. So that means there could have been an error which is irrelevant. Okay, for yeah. instance, okay. for instance, let's say that a charge is amended and the amendment of the charge is just to amend 
the crime where or the time or the place where the alleged crime occurred. Normally, the charge has been amended, so it is important that you read the charge to the defenders of the beginning and the trial start. But on appeal, you are able to convince the court that definitely they read, I mean, they, they, they amended the charge, but they didn't read the charge to me. Now, the question would be the mere fact that they said this crime was committed at Lagos and then it was later discovered I and mean, it was later amended to have been committed still in Lagos but within another part of Lagos. Maybe before it was Ikeja. Now they change it to the Tiger. It still does not change the law that applies. It is still the criminal law of Lagos State. So that is that is a wrong procedure. They should have already charged again, but it doesn't change anything. So it will not lead to a miscarriage of justice. In that situation, the court will not order a retrial. But where it is found that the procedural error definitely led or could have led to a miscarriage of justice against the defendant. In that situation, the court would be on the verge of a retrial order. I didn't say the court would definitely order. I said the court would be on the verge. Then the court will ask the third question where it is found that, yes, there was a procedural error which led to a miscarriage of justice. The next question would be, can this error be remedied in this appeal? Can this error be remedied in this appeal? Now, where there is a possibility, I don't know how that possibility would come, across, uh, would come about, but where there is a possibility that the appeal can remedy the error, then automatically there is no point to go into a retrial by wasting the time and resources of the court. court of, I mean, the, the appellate court will just simply, at that point in time, correct the error by its decision. But where such error cannot be corrected, the court has no choice now but to order a retrial. For instance, a defendant has been convicted, sentenced to, for instance, five years imprisonment, and we discover that there was a procedural error that led to the kind of justice. And this person has been sentenced to five years imprisonment. Now, this imprisonment is not something that can be remedied because I won't, I can't, I can't say, okay, go without punishment since you were not able, able to prove your innocence. Or since you were not, I mean, since why we are here is not on whether you are innocent in the matter or not. We are here to look at the procedure. So I cannot tell you to go. And there is no way I can correct five years imprisonment. So what I will do is I will give the courts the chance to look into the matter again by saying, go and try the matter again, and this time try to correct the procedural error. So that is um the that is a retrial order in the simplest um terms. Okay. Um. So from what you said now, what effect does the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court practice direction have on appeals in criminal cases? Okay. Um. The Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court practice directions basically they were issued by the Chief Justice of Nigeria. For just one particular reason, that is to fast track decisions of appellate courts. Normally, we discover that appeals take a whole lot of time. For instance, looking at the Court of Appeal, by section 27 of section 2B of the Court of Appeal, of the Supreme Court Act, the, uh, the notice of appeal is to be filed within 30 days from the decision of the Court of Appeal, com- of the Court of Appeal complained about. Now, after that, the court will take another 30 days to compile the record of proceedings. After that, the appellant will have 10 weeks, that's about 70 days or more, to file the appellant brief, then the respondent would have another eight weeks to file the respondent brief, then the appellant again will have another four weeks to file a reply brief. Now, that is taking a whole lot of time and the matter gets appears on the list and takes a whole lot of time, takes a lot of time, that it is possible that some people get discouraged and no longer interested in that appeal any longer. 
And some people it is even the public that have interest in that type of matter that will give up. But there are certain matters that are of public importance that the public want to know the outcome. But then because it is taking too long, the public loses interest. So in order to um, avert that problem, the party direction identified certain matters where the time will be abridged in order to fast track proceedings, in order to fast track the appeal. For instance, one of those matters is rape. In recent time, rape has generated public attention. Another matter is kidnapping and abduction. They have generated public concern. Now, another one is human trafficking. So these are matters that people are so interested in the outcome of this matter. So in order to sustain the interest of the public so that the public will know that justice is being served, it is important to fast track. So the time involved in normal appeal and is reduced by the practice direction. For instance, for normal matters, for normal matters, the appellant has ten weeks to file the appellate um, um the appellant brief. That for normal matters, he has ten he has ten weeks. But by the by um as a result of um, rule six, so one of the practice direction of two thousand thirteen. Now he has just ten days if the matter falls within. Um, the matter listed in the practice direction. So it means if the matter is a matter of rape or a matter of kidnapping or human trafficking, the appellant has just 10 days to file his brief of argument. Why? So it means it was reduced from 10 weeks to 10 days. Why the respondent brief, which was 8 weeks, was reduced to 8 days. So it yeah. means that the effect of the practice direction is nothing more but to fast track the time involved in appeal, both for the Court of Appeal and for the Supreme Court, to just to fast track the time involved for certain matters. And examples of the matters involved, we have rape, we have kidnapping, we have human trafficking and um, other offense. I think money laundering is also one of them. So those um, those matters they have to be they have to be decided on time. That is the effect of the practice direction of the two courts. Okay. All right. So I think this will be my last question for today. Can you um, okay. take us through how to draft a legal appeal and then um, bail pending appeal? Ah, all right. Um, this is a bit tasking um, concerning the fact that um, it is audio and not, uh, I mean, not a classroom uh, recording where I have access to the board or something. Um, but then I will try my best to explain it the best way I can. Alright, now let me start with um the bail pending appeal. Is that fine? Yeah. Alright, now for bail pending appeal, it is it is known already that the court most I mean the court has found the defendant guilty. That is the trial court has found the defendant guilty in the first place. So as at this point there is nothing known as presumption of innocence because the defendant has already been found guilty by a competent court of law. So, inno, um, innocent person uh, um, presumption is already out. So, it means this person is no, no longer innocent. So, at that point now, it means that it will not be the duty of the defendant to show why the court should grant him bail. At the original trial court, which would be the high court, it was not for the defense, it is never, it is never for the defendant to show the court why he has to be given, he has to be granted bail. Instead, it will be the duty of the prosecution to tell the court why bail should not be granted. So, if you observe the administration of criminal justice law, if you observe the Administration of, of, of states. If you observe the Administrative of Criminal Justice Act 2015, if you observe the CA, that I mean, if, um, I am CPA, Criminal Procedure Act, Criminal Procedure Code, 
you will discover that they don't have a procedure for, for bail. They don't tell you that this is the way to, to file your bail application. It is just there that the judge can grant bail in certain situations or by considering certain factors. They don't tell you what to do. Now, by practice, by practice, what we'll do in criminal litigation is we use someone. We use someone to file for bail. Now, why are we using someone? Someone allows you to just simply tell the court that I rely on this person's fundamental human rights. That's all. So, by saying that now, you are saying I rely on the fundamental human rights. So, you are leading it to the prosecution to begin to tell the court why the person should not be allowed to enjoy its fundamental human rights. But on appeal now that the person has already been convicted and there is no more presumption of innocence, now it will mean that you cannot come to the court now to say, I want to rely on this person's fundamental human rights. That fundamental human rights has been suspended because he has now been found guilty. So for bail pending appeal, you cannot use summons or you should not use summons if you come by way of motion on notice. So, how do we file such application by motion or notice? The first, there will be the heading of the court. For instance, in the High Court of Lagos State, you have in the Ikeja Judicial Division, then you have holding at Ikeja. That is just like you have for all court processes, you have the heading of the court. Then the next thing you have after that is expected to be the appeal number. No, normally at the trial court, what we would have used would have been the case number or the charge number, depending on whether you're filing a charge or information. But since this is now the court of appeal, you don't use charge number or case number. What you use is charge number. Then after that now, you have the parties. So you have the appellant's name between the appellant and the respondent. The appellant is the person bringing the matter for appeal, while the respondent is definitely the person who is brought. Now, after that, like you would have, if it was not on appeal, you would have the title of the process. So, which is now, I said it, it should not be summon. So, it should not be motion. So, this is motion or notice. Blood pursuant to. So, now, the, the law now to be applicable depends on the jurisdiction. So, what you just have is you cite, um, you reference the law under which the application is brought. Then you have and under the inherent jurisdiction of this honorable court. So, from there now, you now follow the normal procedure for filing a motion. Take notice that this honorable court will be moved at the hour of 9 o'clock in the forenoon or so soon thereafter. As counsel on behalf of the appellant will be heard praying the court for the following orders. Then you list your orders, one after the other. Then the first order is why you are making the application. An order of this honorable court releasing the appellant applicant on bail pending the determination of this appeal. So that's exactly what you are praying for. That is what you want the court to do for you. So the other orders now, you may have other orders which you may not know of at the time you make the application. So what you just do is bring it under the ancillary prayer or the omnibus prayer which will now be and for such other and for such further order or orders as the court may deem fit to make in the circumstances. So that is your application. So what you now have now is dated this dash day of that and twenty. Then you have the um name and address of the person um making the application. Then you have the address and information of the person uh, of the other party with the respondent. So that is just the motion paper itself. Now in this type of application, since you are the one trying to convince the court on why or why the defendant should be granted bail. It means you need arguments. There should be 
a reason. And at this stage, the court will not just grant bail for the sake of granting bail. The court is granting granting bail because there is an important reason for it to be done. So your argument is needed very much in this application compared to if it was um at the trial court at the court of this um distance. So here now you will need as usual your affidavit to state the facts at least to tell the court why the bail should be granted the facts you rely on for this application then you will add your written address which will contain your argument as in normal as in other applications but it is very important to note here that the counsel who drafts these processes may determine the outcome of the application where you are not um, detailed where you are not detailed it might be impossible to get the prayer you want. For instance, the right to presumption of innocence is not there. So this person is already found guilty. You are showing the court a very important reason. So it is on special circumstances or special ground. For instance, this person is suffering from a serious illness and the court facility, I mean the prison facility, sorry for using the word prison, the correctional center does not have the facility to take care of this person. That is, in fact, that is the commonest ground. In fact, that seems to be the only plausible ground looking at recent events in the court. Yeah. That seems to be the only plausible ground. So, I was in court on a certain day and the application was made. It was not even objected to at all. But okay. yet, the court, the court refused to grant the application. <laughs> even it was not opposed to. And the reason the court gave, the court said, at the trial court, of course, the... The, the 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 right position of innocence is there. So once you just tell the court, even without making any formal application, once you just inform the court that this person is entitled to bail, the court will only consider whether the offense is bailable or not, and then release the person on bail. He said, but on appeal, you are expected to show special circumstances. Now, from the affidavit, the person was able to claim that the um, appellant was ill, but unfortunately, it did not attach any medical reports. Oh. So, the court was of the opinion that anybody could claim to be sick, anybody could claim to be suffering from a chronic heart disease. That's like, even if he had attached a medical report, the affidavit did not contain any fact to state that the correctional facility did not have necessary material equipment to take care of that illness. So it is not enough to claim that the appellant is suffering from particular illness. You must also state it and prove it by your argument that that illness cannot be catered for by the facility, by the correctional facility. And apart from that, you should attach a medical report. Although in some cases, it has been held that a person who is not being treated at a modern hospital, and I say modern hospital, it means the conventional hospital, may not have access to a medical report where the person is being um, attended to through traditional means. Is it orthodox or orthodox medicine? One of the two, I can't remember the exact name. Okay. In that situation, if you are able to convince the court that that is the type of treatment being taken, then medical report may be excused. All right, so yeah, you have your motion or notice, you have your affidavit, and you have your written address. So that is um, bail pending appeal. All right, on the other one, which is um, notice of appeal, the notice of appeal now is to be filed in the appellate court, that is the higher court. 
God by law. The, the, it is it is it is submitted to the registry of the court that took the decision being appealed. So it means now because you are submitting that notice to the court of appeal, I mean to the court of appeal, does not mean that it should be added in the name of the court of appeal. Okay. Because you know that the court of appeal is only helping you to transmit it to the Supreme Court. So it should be the heading of the Supreme Court. So that is first. So you have the heading, then again you have the reference number, which is um the appeal number. Like I said in the in the other one, then you have the parties, at least the appellant and the respondent. So immediately after that, now you should proceed to your introduction. And what is the purpose of the introduction? The purpose of the introduction is to let the court know what is happening. So you have to the registrar, the Supreme Court of Nigeria. Now the question is. Who is filing the notice of appeal? In practice, it is filed by a counsel because, as expected, the appellant is already most likely in custody. So, the next now, people have made counsel, some counsel have made mistakes of writing the notice of appeal in their own names. But by the rules of the Supreme Court, it is supposed to be the appellant himself that will write the notice. So, where the notice is written on behalf of the appellant, it means still it must bear the name of the appellant and his signature. So, where a counsel signs the notice of appeal, it is deemed that there is no appeal pending before the court. Okay, so from the introduction now, it should be, it should not be I, Oblay Taiwo Esquire. It will be I, followed by the name of the appellant. That's the introduction. Uh, so it will be, Hi, Ajale Koko. I've been now. This is the exact language that is used in practice. But then nothing says such language is compulsory. It is just for you to inform the court that you are appealing a certain decision. It is not for you to by force use this way. But this is this is the commonest um, expression we use. I, Ajale Koko, have been convicted on the offense of fraudulent and um, possession of fraudulent document. Now being a prisoner at the Nigeria Correctional Center, Ikoyi, do hereby give notice of appeal against my conviction for the offense of possession of fraudulent document punishable under Section uh, 318 of the Criminal Law of Lagos State 2011. I do appeal to the court on the following grounds. So what you now do is you write your ground. If you have many grounds, then you have you need to use ground one. Then if you have just one ground, so we'll be working with one ground. This is just um an example. So the ground, the learned trial judge, the learned trial judge held that where a person is found with a document containing false information, he is liable for the offense of possession of fraudulent document. That is the ground. Now, but the ground now does not show that the court has made any mistake. So there will now the ground will be followed by particular. So there will be particulars for every ground. So when you have 20 grounds, that is expected that every ground is followed by particular. So, for a ground that is not accompanied by particular, it may be deemed, depending on the circumstances of the case, it may be deemed that you have foregone that particular ground. So, when you write a ground, you write your particular. So, your particular should be what you rely on to arrive at that um, ground. So, for I have claimed that now the, the trial judge under the ground, the trial judge found that where a person is found in possession of a document that contains false information is um, is liable for the offense of possession of fraudulent document. Now, particular. Now, one, the 
essence of possession of fraudulent document is to ensure that the person does not deliberately prepare or possess a document intended to confuse or mislead the public. Number two, number three, number four. So you write many of those things. So now all of the things you are writing now is just trying to point to the fact you, know, you are still going to argue. But everything you are trying to write now is to point to the fact that that decision that anybody who possesses fraudulent document, I mean anybody who is found in possession, is guilty of that offense. So I may my argument later will be that a person might not even know that that document is in his possession. Blah 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 blah. That was why I use the word deliberate. So it should have been deliberate. So this person might know. So in the argument, we begin to say that so let there be ground, let there be particulars. Then once you are within the ground at the particular, let there be a signature of the applicant immediately. But the, I have said it earlier and I will repeat it because many people keep making this mistake and then frustrating the matter for their own um, client. It should be signed not by the counsel. It should be signed by the appellant himself. So after the signature now, you can have the you have the date, the date of the date for um filing, dated this dash date of dash two thousand and twenty. So you then have particulars of um trial and conviction, which will be the last part. That is you give the date of the trial, then you name the you name the court where the trial held, then you name the sentence imposed. So you now uh, you now conclude by putting whether the question now I mean, you raise the question, you raise the question of the law that was raised at the trial. So, what was the law? What was the law all about? So, number one, the date of the trial. Number two, the court of the trial. Number three, the sentence imposed. Then, number four, what question of law arose at the trial? For instance, I'm dealing with, uh, from the example I use, I use possession of fraudulent documents under section 318 of the criminal law of the state. So, the question of law is whether a person found in possession of, of, um, Document containing false information is automatically liable for that offense. That will be the question of law. So once you have put the question of law, then um, what what will have next? We just okay, we just did the address and um, that is all. But I will still implore that this is just um, audio. So some people listen to it. It's like what happens are exactly at the law school where we listen to teaching, where the read out um, processes to us or samples. To us, and then we believe we now understand it, and then we want to wait till the day of the exam before we put into practice what we thought we understood in class. It mm. really doesn't work that way. Once it is a class, no matter how much you understand what has been read or what has been explained with the words of mouth, you must make effort to put it into writing, draft it, not just assume that I heard what the person said or I memorized what the person said. You memorize, but by the time you get to the exam and you want to start putting it down on paper. You may just find yourself confused as to where am I supposed to if they said there will be parties, where am I supposed to write the parties? Drafts are meant to be practiced. You don't just listen to it and conclude you now understand. You don't understand drafts by listening to people reading them. You understand them by drafting. You don't know the content word for word and don't know how to place them on paper. Mm, okay. Right. Wow, entire it's very like really enlightening speaking with you today and discussing appeals with you. I'm sure that anybody listening now will really get the full picture of what appeals is all about um in the um from the court, court of appeal to the Supreme Court. Thank you very much for being on this episode. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. So now to our audience, I would like to tell you to please fill our feedback forms um if you see them online on our social media pages and you can ask us questions and suggestions make suggestions through our social media pages on Twitter and Instagram. We are at DigiLawNG. So show your support 
Um, you can subscribe to our podcast on Google and Apple Podcasts and give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts. Use Anchor to listen. You can click the favorite button and so you get notified anytime we release a new episode. And if you prefer to ask your questions via audio, you can send us a message on Anchor and we will appreciate your feedback, um, your questions, and we'll get back to you. So we hope you've had a great time today. So meet again. I mean, your host is Kate Ubi. Stay fit and stay perfect. And that's all for today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast, a DigiLaw production. For more about DigiLaw, you can check out our website at www.digilaw.com.ng. Follow us on social media. On LinkedIn, we are at DGL Africa. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at DigilawNG. The Fit and Proper podcast was hosted by Keyukemi Ubi and Taiwo Gunlege. The scriptwriter is Keyukemi Ubi. Production and editing is by Akin Ifanyi Agumbiade. And while the voiceover is by Fashion Adibi. Until we meet again, stay fit and stay proper.